0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Cat Stevens, jiggling in the background.
1: Now she'll she'll be on her merry way shortly. How are you today, David?
0: I'm I'm good. How are you, Bruce?
1: I'm pretty good. All things considered, for a for a. a A gloomy Monday in November with snow on the ground and no hockey being played anywhere near me. As good as it's going to get.
0: I always hate a cold November, Bruce. It just makes winter seem forever here. Like, if you get really cold November, it could just seem, it seems like it lasts for years, winter, sometimes. And we haven't had cold Novembers so much lately, but uh, we're getting one now. We're getting one now. So, Bruce, we're watching those Oilers players in Europe. And i it's fascinating. I'm finding it really interesting. Um, so we're going to talk today about the following players. Recent games from Jesper Puljujarvi, where he got ejected from the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Philip
0: Beriland, uh, who um, is known as Berglund to Oilers fans. When, while they're in Europe, we've decided while the players are in Europe we're going to use their European pronunciations. We're Like, it's kind of weird to go to a game like where they're talking about Barryland or Broberry and then start to mm-hmm. talk about Bergland and Broberg. It just it seems sure wrong is. to me. So as long as it we're is. listening, we, mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes in the future. We'll see if this catches on using their proper pronunciation for their names, which is kind of a, a nice thing to do with people in general, like, you know, pronounce their names like they yeah. pronounce them. If you're Philippe, Philippe, it should be Philippe and not Philip and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, so Barryland, you watched him. Um, I did. Dylan Holloway, uh, you saw his first game. I did. Theodore Lenstrom Ryan McLeod, Kiro Maximov, Raphael Lavoie, Joachim Nigard, and Philip Broberry. Those are the players we'll talk about. But 1st we're going to start with just a little quick discussion about two things. First, the Oilers, we'll go with the Oilers' retro jerseys, which have come out. And Emily Kaplan of ESPN has her off-season power rankings for NHL teams, and we'll talk about that. What do you think of the new sweaters, uh, the new retro sweaters?
1: Oh, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, I guess.
0: Oh, I can't hear you, Bruce. You just you hit the mute button again or something. Someone come unplugged. Yeah, something come unplugged
1: there. Uh, No, that may have also been the cat. Oh, she's being a nuisance today. I may have to uh, give her the eviction notice here shortly. Anyway, uh, she just jumped up and she must have hit a button somehow. I didn't do anything. My hands are on my legs. Anyway, I believe (laughs) Bruce McCready. I believe you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. uh, They're not very retro. I mean, retro of what? Like, the Oilers never wore a jersey that was really like that. They never had orange on their shoulders. I mean, if you wanted to go retro in the uh, late WHA period, uh, you know, time when Gretzky arrived, when I first had season tickets, they had blue shoulders, and then the crest was was filled in with orange. And just the oil drop was white, and it had blue Oilers on the orange background in the crest. Now that would be retro because that's actually what they used to look like. Just
0: give like. me a second. I'm gonna go find my hockey cards and see see how. It, I thought I'd seen a sweater like this before. Give me one sec.
1: Good luck finding that one. Anyway, it's uh, this whole retro uh, craze. I mean, some some of the teams really have gone full full retro and brought back things of the past. And other teams have got in, uh, uh, I guess the, the uh, WHA is getting some um, uh, some recognition, the WHA is David, with uh, uh, Colorado Avalanche wearing a variation of the old Quebec Nordiques jersey, uh, crest or logo and everything, not quite the right colors, but it actually it, it actually looks good in the color they chose. And the uh, Carolina Hurricanes have brought back the Hartford Whalers logo, one of the classic logos of the past. Now, that is not truly a WHA logo, because in the WHA they were the New England Whalers, and they only became the Hartford Whalers upon entering the NHL. Well, at least those two gave a nod to the WHA. And then, the, uh, of course, the Winnipeg Jets that went to Arizona, if they brought back the Winnipeg Jets logo, uh, uh, appearance and all kinds of confusion would result so i'll give them a pass i would like to see the oilers bring back that style but whatever it it doesn't look bad so okay let's
0: let's let's go through a little history lesson here bruce
1: Mm -hmm. sure
0: on the Oilers' sweaters okay um because it looks like they changed them about three times Mm -hmm. as far as i can tell in the first 10 years
1: Okay. In, in the NHL or in the history of the franchise?
0: History of the franchise.
1: Right, okay. So here... The a shock plant let orange.
0: See, oh. Let me see if focus on that or not. Can you can you see that?
1: Uh, not well. Bring it back closer to your face for probably have a better chance. Yeah, I can just read Edmonton Oilers. Alberto well, you can see Oilers. the
0: colors of the sweaters.
1: See the, the color. color, yeah. Alberto Oilers. And then the actual thing isn't focused. There we go. Okay.
0: okay, so that's uh, it's got the blue shoulders and the red and the orange mm-hmm. body, yep. and that's the sweater they wore for much of the WHA years
1: on the road. Yep.
0: And then this is a road. Yeah, these are all road, mostly. And this is here's um, this is 1975-76. Mm-hmm. They have the orange shoulders, right? And the white and the blue sweater. Yep. And then. Well, I guess they keep that in the first year or is this this is um this is a famous hockey card. No yeah, that's
1: Gretzky's rookie card. Yeah, they kept the orange logo the orange Oilers on the white background with the blue oil drop on the blue away uniform. But then and, they
0: switched to this which is the blue Oilers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. Oh, all.
1: actually, yeah, the Gretzky rookie card from
0: the do, that's have. from the
1: WHA. That picture would have been from the WHA, and then printed the first year of the NHL. Because yeah, they went to the they they went only then did they go to the same logo on both home and away. And before then, they had two different looks of the logo, neither of which was the permanent look. So yeah.
0: So so you're not a fan of this.
1: So, uh, I don't I don't hate it. I just don't particularly consider it retro. It's a new new it's a, it's a faux retro. You know, it's 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 going back to a time that never existed in terms of the Oilers. Like I say uh, some of the other teams have gone more traditional and some have gone sort of I think there's some they call it reverse retro too, which I guess that's how you can make sense of what the Montreal Canadiens did with their classic. Uh, did- Form.
0: Did anyone go? Like they didn't say. Now, uh, to, to be fair to them, they're not saying these are replica jerseys. They're saying these are kind of retro look. I guess retro styling sweaters. Mm-hmm. So they never they never promised to uh, to go right back. I would have liked to see the um, them go right back and do a replica jersey. It, um, I've always. Wanted them to go back and just do the 1980 early 80s sweaters and wear those. Like, honestly, wear those sweaters. What's wrong with those sweaters, Bruce? They want they were good enough to win five Stanley cups. cups in. Yeah,
1: they won Cups, those sweaters. Why
0: don't they just go back one time and just do that sweater? Bruce McCurdy, why don't they do that? What is wrong with them?
1: I don't know. I mean, if the Calgary Flames can go back to the Snorting horse, I mean... Snorting us, I guess. So uh, we can, uh, uh, why not go back to when times were actually good around here? But now, now I'm sounding like a grumpy old man. I remember when, Sonny, when we were actually good at hockey. <laughs> I like those
0: early 80s sweaters. Like, that's the classic Oiler sweater. I don't know, what, like, in all of the, um, you know, we've seen so many sweaters over the years. I don't just don't know why they can't. And with one of them, just go back. Don't you think Connor McDavid would like to wear the same freaking sweater? Just like the Montreal Canadiens, they mm-hmm. wear the same sweater. They have forever. The Gila Lafleur and John. What is wrong with that? You know, why is this such a uh, an idea that's never occurred to anyone in the Oilers organization? Yeah, but Bruce, they'd sell a ton of the, they, you know, you don't think if they brought out a real early, like 1980 to 87 or what, I don't know when they changed it, you know, their sweater. They didn't change them that much in those days. It was pretty much the same for a long time. Just looking at my hockey cards here, right till the 90s, it was the same sweater. Why don't they just go back to that sweater?
1: Is that? This is supposedly a fourth uh, jersey or sweater depending which side of the border you live on and it's I mean all these years they talked about the third now this is the fourth and because it's white does that mean the Oilers only wear it in the road or does that mean the other teams bring their dark jerseys in and play against the home whites uh, I don't mind that I actually used to like the home whites because you'd see all the different colors of all the teams right it wasn't every game orange versus white like it is now it was white versus blue, white versus black, white versus green, white versus orange, white versus red. You know. Anyway, that's just me.
0: I like. I actually like the retro jersey. I should say. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I it looks all right. Color. I like it. it. I think right. it's it, it 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 does remind me a lot of the WHA jerseys sweaters, <laughs> sweaters as people Canadians of a certain age call them, and jerseys as Americans and Canadians under the age of fifty call them. Um, the, it reminds me of those old WHA sweaters and uh I, I it works for me i don't mind the new one it's it's one of the i like you know what the the one jersey sweater i liked a lot jersey sweater was the mcfarland jersey mm-hmm. by the um art cartoon artist i can't i don't mm-hmm. know i never i don't know if i ever saw his cartoon work very much what was his name um
1: todd was it McFarlane. mcfarland
0: mm-hmm. todd mcfarland well he was one of the owners i believe at one point, one of the 35 or 36 owners in the EIG. Yeah. I liked that sweater quite a bit in terms of uh, being a different kind of sweater for the Oilers with the whole different design, whole different concept. That was kind of cool.
1: I never liked it because it looked too much like the LA Kings home jersey that the Kings unveiled the day they acquired Wayne Gretzky from the Oilers. They came out, they got rid of the ugly purple and yellow, which they've now brought back. And they came out with these black and white and silvers. And Gretzky, the day he got traded there, August 9th, 1988, uh, came out at the L.A. press conference wearing that sweater. And I, I never really liked that sweater for that reason. And I just thought the McFarland Oiler jersey was way too close to that in its design. It wasn't quite black, but in terms of the, the width of the stripe on the bottom and everything, it just looked too similar. And I thought. I'm i having trouble rooting for the Kings here, you know. It's supposed to be the Oilers, <laughs> but again, yeah. that's just me.
0: I'm just like I I I'm, I just think the Habs have it right. You, you don't change your sweater.
1: You keep the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks, Black got it. The
0: Blackhawks have it right. The New York Yankees, do they change their sweater? The Boston I don't watch baseball anymore. Boston Red Sox. I mean, you don't. And the so Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs have changed their sweater. And look at them, Bruce. Look at them. Look at the history of that sorry franchise. What happens when you start messing around with the sweater where your team won six Stanley five Stanley Cups in the '60s, whatever it was? Four. They Stanley won eleven
1: Cups. Stanley Cups in their first 50 years and zero in the '53. And what's
0: what? What do we know? What's the correlation? They, they switched around their, their sweater.
1: <laughs> what a rookie But it's
0: got to be. But <laughs> it's got to be. I just finished Brian Burke's audio book. By the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burke's Rules, and the good news is he reads it, but, so it's in his and it, and it had to be him yeah. but it is fantastic fun listening mm-hmm. to, to that book if you're okay. looking for something on your walks get, mm-hmm. go on Audible and buy the audiobook, it is well worth whatever it is that you have to pay for I get a monthly subscription to Audible so I get a like a
1: wow.
0: a, a book a month mm-hmm. uh, but his stories are, are great, and he talks about running the Leafs and about how he's failed, uh, and about all the different reasons it's hard to achieve in that market, but he thinks someone's going to one day do it. I wonder if that will be Kyle Dubas, who just drafted more soft skill in Rodion Amarov, according to Bruce, not uh, to Brian McBurk. Okay, Bruce, uh, Emily Kaplan's piece, she has the Oilers ranked 17th. Bruce, this is a team the Edmonton Oilers finished last year in winning percentage in the NHL 12th. I don't know. How anyone could look at this Oilers roster, like honestly, look at this Oilers roster and say it's worse than last year's Oilers roster. What you could say is the Oilers maybe got lucky last year in terms of their special teams. And Mm -hmm. their special teams play is unsustainable, especially on the penalty kill. And I think that's a completely fair comment. I think that's a rational comment to make. And it's unlikely that the Oilers... Penalty kill would be that good. And maybe their power play won't be quite as good. But I think their power play is going to be bloody outstanding. So I'm not that worried about it. But I, Bruce, I just think the Oilers are a lot better team. Especially since the Cahoon signing. I mean, when you add it all up, this is a much better team than the start of last year. And even the finish of last year. Even without Oscar Kleffbaum. I see this as a as a better team, at least. Maybe not a much better team. A better team. What What do you think?
1: should be better five on five. Yeah. and I think they will have to make up some deficit from the spent, uh, penalty kills, which were you know, generational last year in terms of the uh, uh, production of the power play best in over 40 years and the combined percentage of the power play and penalty kill uh, put together, uh, which is somewhat of a bogus stat, but when you, when you lump them <laughs> together, that also was the best in, in something like 40 years. And I mean, you obviously can't expect that every year. You wouldn't be setting 40-year milestones, right? But yeah, I still think they'll be. I think the power play will be good, uh, for sure. Uh, penalty kill is almost certain to fall off its uh, high horse to some extent, and they're going to make up some of it at uh, at even strength. I see him as I see them as a playoff team, and I, you know. But like you say, she's got all the Canadian teams lumped in there together. Toronto, 11th, Vancouver, 14th, Montreal, 15th, Calgary, 16th, 17th, Winnipeg, 18th. And if there really is a Canadian division, it's going to be a brawl. There's no no other way for it to go but to be, uh, you know, because there's no, like, truly outstanding team that's going to pull away from the rest that I can see. And at the same time, there's, you know, there's six teams that are close, and then Ottawa which is definitely improving, and I don't see them making the playoffs, but I see them winning a bunch of games and pissing off the fans of the teams they beat from time to time, and it'll be the Oilers on occasion. You just know them.
0: I don't see that. I just don't see the Habs, Bruce. I know everyone's excited about the Habs. They spend a a lot of money, like the Oilers used to spend a lot of money, on kind of older players who are not drivers of their team. You know, maybe good players, but um, maybe not half the time. So, and they they have a lot of hopes tied up in two young centers, yeah. Kudchenyemi and Suzuki. Now, both of them may become the like, first like that might be your Montreal first and second center for the next ten years or not. And so, I'm I if there was one team that I'm skeptical of in that group. I mean the Flames have a good team, we know that. Um they've had some losses though too on defense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Vancouver a little less deep overall. And um you know, I just I like the Oilers' depth. They got a lot of really good players plus two superstars. And I just don't see the Oilers being worse than last year. So Yeah,
1: my favorite argument for people that don't like the Oilers is um are you there? Yeah. Okay. My whole screen just went blank for some reason. My favorite teams for for um, back uh, The people that don't like the orders, is well, you take away those two superstars, there's not much there. And I'm going well, yeah, but aren't those two superstars like on the team and actually playing, scoring goals and stuff? I mean, you can't. And in their it. prime. Yeah, not too. So. Anyway, I find that argument, well, there's not much there besides those guys. I mean, take the two top players away from any team, they're going to be not so good. But if you take the two best players from Edmonton. I mean, obviously, there's a wider disparity here than anywhere with two, you know, high, high-end players.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not feeling it for the Habs. Maybe And, and the Leafs, well, they are the Leafs. You know, they keep, they, they keep changing their sweater around and jigs in themselves that way, so that's never, that hasn't worked out for them. Uh, let's go, Bruce, to our uh, recent drop-in on games. So I just have a few overall comments on our... Okay. The more games I see of players, I'd say the more balanced my view of that player is. Because you start to see good games and bad games. Like there mm-hmm. is... You can watch Drysaddle and McDavid through the year, and you'll see some games where Leon Drysaddle is a two or a three, according to our uh, and that's oh,
1: sure.
0: three is a, a poor game and a two is an atrocious game, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you'll see you'll see games and you know, so when you drop it on players and same with Connor McDavid. So it's only when you start to see players, you know, play 10, 15 games, you, you start to get a, a much better idea of their true talent and what they bring to the game. And, and we're about two or three or four games in with most right. of these players. So uh, anything we say needs to be taken with that with that in mind. And the, the other thing that, that needs to be kept in mind for both us and people listening to us in terms of our evaluation, I think, is that we're watching games on the European ice. Right. And you start to get the sense when you like there's some players I think like we're getting, generally speaking, a pretty good take on Theodore Landstrom in his European games, for instance. Now, how but how well that's gonna translate to the smaller North American ice where the style like the, the play in the corners is much more important defensive battling is much more important um and then there's a player like Philip Berryland berglund Berryland who who maybe hasn't looked as good on the big ice in Europe but maybe his game is going to translate a little differently in North America so that's the other kind of proviso or uh that I would put on caveat I would put on a all of our ratings is that we're like Ryan McLeod has looked good in some, in some games in Europe, but how's how does, how does that work in on the smaller race in North America? So that's what I would add. Any, any thoughts in those, in that regard?
1: Yeah, a couple. Uh, One, I, I've now rated two games of Yassip and one, he was just outstanding, just flying around the ice, winning races to pucks, winning puck battles, setting up plays. And the other game, he just looked out of sorts. He was more, reacting to the puck rather than anticipating it. He was sort of getting into position to check but not really getting his shoulders in there and doing the work, reaching in a little bit from outside. And he wasn't having much of an impact in the game and eventually he got frustrated and took a couple of bad penalties in the third period. And it was like two different players. I mean, I'm looking at these two games. I know it's the same guy and with some of the same attributes, but one day he was feeling it and one day he wasn't. And that happens, as you say, uh, to uh, to the best of them. And as for the as for the European ice, yeah, absolutely. That uh, uh, for a guy like Ryan McLeod, who who depends on his uh, on his speed, uh, all that extra room uh, gives him more, you know, gives gives him a little more room to roam. And also, all that extra perimeter space, which ultimately is what it is, is extra speed extra space very wide and far away from the net is not necessarily going to resolve the primary uh, knock against Ryan McLeod's game that he uh, he doesn't go to and play well in the dirty areas of the ice, uh, the tough areas in the, you know, in the trenches. Because in Europe, I mean, there are trenches, but they're just, you know, there's there's lots more green fields in between the in the, the trenches where you can play a lot of the game and not really... Get involved all that physically, so it, it is very much a different game over there. Very rare, I'm sure. David, I heard more crunches of, of uh, players hitting the boards in the one game I watched from North America, which was Dylan Holloway's uh, uh, debut game in a sophomore season, than I think in all of the, or certainly in any one of the of the European games. Creaming guys into the board, you have to go out of position to hit a guy into the boards in the in the. Uh, In Europe, because the boards are so wide, far away from the net, so they just generally that what little hitting there is is in the open ice. But uh, uh, it's much more of a of a chess match, and and the physicality, to my eyes, down a fair bit in the uh, in the European game.
0: It's about if it's half or a a third of the physicality, it just is. It's a it's a. I honestly, I find the game's a little boring the European style of hockey. I think the North American style brand of hockey is far superior from a spectator point of view. Maybe it's just what I'm used to and what I like, but yeah, it just seems kind of like, I don't know, like they're going through the motions (laughs) certain level. Uh, Maybe it's because there's no fans in the stands. Maybe there's even less intensity than normally in the European games as well, but haven't really been in love with the the style of hockey. And this brings me back to Burke's book. He talked about his philosophy as a GM. You know, he's famous for wanting the black and blue hockey, right? And he always had a goon on his team. So and he himself admits that his idea of a building a hockey team is a bit outmoded. Like he, Tru-
1: he truculence.
0: Truculence. He he wears that. But what he <laughs> talked about was really interesting because he was still he's in that era, like he needs to sell tickets. Like he his idea they want to put he wants to put on a show for the fans to sell yeah, tickets, to sell the game. It's not just necessarily about you know playing the trap and winning hockey games with Brian Burke, he 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 won't do that. He would not do that, and he wouldn't hire a coach who would do that. His idea was he wants his team to trade chances, but to get more scoring chances, and he wants his team to be physical and to hit hard and to skate fast, hit hard. That's that's Brian Burke hockey, and I you know that's a pretty good summation of the North American game, and, and I. I I agree with them. I think that's that's the exciting hockey. That was Oilers certainly you know high degree of skill in the Oilers hockey in the 1980s and and also 2005 06 when the when the Oilers were also a very good team. But those teams also really hit. They were they were fierce, hard hitting hockey teams, and I'm all in favor of that. So um, so I think we've covered off. We've talked a lot about Pulleyarv. You you summed them up. Let's just move on to Barry Lynn Bruce. Um, sure. What did you think of, of uh, Philip Berglund slash Barryland?
1: Yeah, they called him Barryland. Um, yeah. And he, uh, uh, I, I saw sort of, a, to me, he played an average game. I, I graded him a five. I, I saw Lentzerman in the same game. I graded him a five. Some very different from one another in terms of their style of play, but uh, neither one had a huge impact on the game. They did their job and, and, you know, it wasn't. Uh, they weren't at the at the key uh, points of the game necessarily. Uh, he looks like, was certainly compared to Broberry and uh, to uh, Lindstrom, uh, he does not look like an elite skater like those two guys are. He looks like an average skater, and it's a, there's a fair gap. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he's not. He's not like super. Like he reminds me his. His skating reminds me of Adam Larson, and he's the exact same size, 6'3", 209 pounds. He doesn't have the edge of Adam Larson, but he plays some of that game that Larson plays. Just, you know, basics, uh, you know, look after his his uh, side of the ice, uh, you know, go and battle for every puck. Don't get sucked too far out of position. Uh, you know, solid. I would call him a solid uh, defender. Still 23 years old, still... Presumably on the upside of his uh, of his learning curve, uh, but I'm not sure how high the ceiling is going to be for this particular player.
0: Yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of these you know big strong defensemen who can fire off a hard shot, make a hard pass, not necessarily accurate in either case. Kind of the uh, to go way back the Barry Long school of defense or <laughs> or more recently Curtis Foster, um, that kind of game. Where you're, they look a bit stiff when they're skating, right? Like there's not a lot of agility there or necessarily speed. I was hoping, so far been hoping to see a bit more from Berland. I have definitely not seen his A game. Uh, I I'm sure of that. So I, I'll leave it
1: at that. He's on a he's on a pretty iffy team too. Eh, Lynn yeah, Shurton? really and weak. And he's he's, uh, he's one of a couple guys over there that are playing, uh, whose coach is a former Oiler. That guy being Burt Robertson, the immortal Bert Robertson, two S's. That was a Swede that played with the Oilers, what, 20 odd years ago? Not for long, but... I don't even remember him. He was a uh, winger slash defenseman and I think mostly played defense when he was an Oiler. A Swede that was just on the cusp of it, the NHL, but never really made it. Anyway, he's now back coaching in Sweden. And he moved on from Schleftia to um to Lynn Choping and and Berlin moved with him. And that's why he changed teams. He wanted that coach apparently. So
0: I see. So that's why he he moved. Yeah, it's not a it's not we're going to bring this up again when we talk about Raphael Lavoie. Bruce, you saw uh Dylan Holloway. I'd seen him in a, I watched one of his games from last year. Mm-hmm. And um my my quick take is it seems like like he's the the Philip Broberry of forwards in a lot of ways. the orders seem to, there's a, a commonality with some of these topics, including McLeod and they're going for, they have gone for uh, with a number of high picks, big, really fast, agile players, big, really fast, agile players. If you were to say, you know, if you were to rate their skills, those would be the things that stand out a lot. And then skill, they're all skilled. Mm-hmm. But the question is how much elite skill do they have uh, with all of them? And, um, you know, in in terms of their, you know, I think maybe there's like different questions about how competitive each one is. They're not like with, you know, kind of maybe Holloway at most, like obviously competitive individual, then Broberry pretty darn competitive and maybe some questions about McLeod. But they're all big, fast. They're all big and fast and they've got some skill. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I'm seeing Holloway. What about you?
1: Yeah, he's big by the modern standards, which surprisingly, after years and years of these guys just getting ever bigger and huger uh, in their draft years, they uh, they're gone more towards fast, quick, and, and uber skilled in recent years. And he's a little bit of a throwback. He's not gigantic. He's 6'1", 203 currently, and I'm sure he's going to fill out you know a solid two ten or two fifteen by the time he's twenty three years old. Yeah, but he's already. Uh, I mean, he's just turned 19, and he's already—you uh, uh, know—he's a—he's. Let's put it this way: if he's a boy playing in a men's league, it sure didn't show in the game I saw the other day. He was a—he was a man among those men, and uh, he was uh, physically uh, winning more than his share of battles. Uh, you talk about elite skill, and with the puck, you know, he's. Nothing sort of really shone out as being, you know, extremely creative or anything. Uh, But his elite skills are, uh, some of them are in his skating legs. He's super fast, and he's, to my eye, he's got, uh, 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 like, he's a good connective skater. He can turn backwards to receive a pass, pivot and be going forward again, and it's not awkward at all. Like, he does it so naturally, he just flows to... You know, to, to lateral skating to forward, to 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 spinning to, yeah. you know, to face the play. All that stuff looks like it it's second nature to the guy. And that's, you know, for a nineteen year old um just drafted um skater of any position, that's uh that's uh that's a real nice thing to have. Another thing he does is that he not only does he skate to the puck, but he skates through the puck. If the other guy on the other team happens to have it, he'll, you know, he'll go in there and he'll finish that check. He won't just go in and, and stop where the puck is and try and battle for it. He'll go in and take the body, and then, you know, pick up his reward when he's done. There, there was one play in that game late in the third period. They were protecting a two-nothing lead, Wisconsin, and the other team was trying to put the pressure on the guy who was down in the corner <clears throat> uh, with the puck. I think. You know, they didn't have the goalie out yet, but they had, it uh, was getting to that time. And Holloway, uh, sort of the second badger into the corner, the first guy didn't really go in deep, and Holloway just came in and just went right through the guy, crunched him. The puck came out, went to the defenseman. He made one pass out, and it was a two-on-one the other way for Wisconsin. You know, cycle over, just one hit done, completely disrupted it. And that, that was one of... Maybe four good checks that he had. Two, two in the open ice in particular that were just dandy hits where he just hit the guy, you know, right in the breastbone and put him down. And so, you know, the Oilers, like you can sure see where his skill set will complement what the Oilers, um, what the Oilers have uh, have currently. I mean, always, always you got room for another speedy player on your team. But if you, a guy that, you know makes a beeline for the puck all the time and then wins puck battles when he gets there and then can make a pass, you know, out of, you know, out of the corner or what have you. Anything else he can do on top of that is, is, uh, is bonus. You know, I mean, if he can do those things, there's room for that on the team, whether it's top six, bottom six, this guy, I mean, I'd be shocked if this is not an NHL player. And I was know,
0: just thinking first, the same First round thing.
1: draft, you should get an NHL player. Well, I'd say the odds are, more like 90% than 70%, you know, kind of thing for this guy. He's got, he's got, he could play center as he did throughout this game. And he was 10 and four in the faceoff circle. And he was, uh, you know, looked strong in the position, certainly had the legs to play the full 200-foot game that center has to play more than any other position. So that's, you know, one possible future for him. But another one is to move him into the wing in the top six. And it's, the orders have needs in both of those areas. They need a they need a good solid three C. They still need top six wingers. He could be either of those things. So lots lots to like in this player and and uh, scored actually scored a goal in each game. Uh, and uh, in my game it was just a, a power play wrist shot from uh, between the circles. And the other game he won it with uh with a real, um, real nice goal that broke a tie around. in the third period, yeah.
0: Looked like a little bit bad goal to but it was Ooh, a job. very nice shot. Like mm-hmm. it was a very nice shot. He wrapped kind of went wide around fast around the net and and put it in from a bad angle, but he still roofed Shelf. it as you say. Yeah, um, Bruce his coach right now, Tony Granado, mm-hmm. is pretty upset because they've they're sending him off right now. The world junior team in Canada needs its players now because a lot of them aren't playing at all and they, it's a big camp I th- more than 50 players as i think if i'm not mistaken about that and they're going to have them for a long time so they can start to because these guys aren't playing and like broberry in sweden is playing right now all the swedish players are going to be up against canada all the russian players all the european players are playing full schedules right now right and the canadian kids aren't which is a huge disadvantage like it really is so they want them to try to replicate that you know, I think Holloway will have a good chance of making the Canadian team, given his, given his skill set, um, his speed and yep. his hitting. Like As a fourth-line guy, hard to imagine that they wouldn't want him on their team. That said, you know, maybe they should have waited a couple of weeks to call him in. Let him play. What is it? He's got 12 games in eight, 19 days or something like that? 12
1: games in 27. 27. That was their return to play it was last weekend. So they're trying to catch up on their first half in sort of uh, November December. So yeah. they were you know in the rush before you know midterm exams kind of thing. They stuffed in 12 games and he only played two of those games. So he's going to miss 10 games to go to this camp. So a he better make the team because you know he's given up a uh, uh, and uh, he himself's a little sort of bummed by having to you know leave his team and leave real games for. You know, scrimmages and stuff. Yeah. But the way Team Canada is designed, it's, like, rare that they have any college players at all. Yeah. You know, most years they have maybe one, sometimes two. So, I mean, it's obviously the major junior players that are driving the bus for the Team Canada game plan. And rather than have a camp that runs from December 10th to 23rd or whatever that they normally do, this year they pushed it way ahead and thought, let's get, you know, three weeks of scrimmages and, and practices in and then get it into our main camp and so it's uh, it's a different so they're all coming to Red Deer yeah uh, I would have thought leave the guy in Wisconsin for a couple of weeks like you say and then bring him in but then of course there's all this uh, uh, potential quarantine issue and sort of the crossing yeah. the border is not a simple matter that it was. In fact, I don't know what he's facing. He left the team. He played Friday, Saturday. He left the team on Sunday. Presumably he's in Alberta now, but when he'll actually be allowed to go out on the well, ice? If you're play, flying to
0: Calgary, sure. there's that new program, Bruce, in mm-hmm. Calgary where you, you get tested.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then you're in quarantine for 48, 24 to 48 hours. You get your that's test right. back, and then you're free to go, and you get another test. Uh, so that's not that big an issue. I Listen, if Holloway had decided to stay... Usually I get pretty cheesed off, mm-hmm. honestly, when good players decide not to play for Team Canada. That bothered, It's bothered me since 1972 and they didn't allow uh, Bobby oh, yeah. Hull to play and JC Trombley and Jerry Cheevers. So, and then, then we've had other players rarely decide to sit out, and it's never sat well with me. But if in this case, if Holloway had said, I'm staying and I'm going to play for my university team, I would have actually been okay with it because I just think – in terms of his hockey development, I'm not actually convinced that playing for Team Canada is his best move um, in terms of – because they're just asking a lot and he's going to miss a lot of really competitive games against at least, you know, really good competition. So
1: um, I would have I accepted I'm
0: glad he's gone, but I would have accepted if he didn't.
1: Surprisingly, I couldn't wait till December 1st or something. I mean, the yeah. tournament doesn't start till Christmas Day. I mean, from, from where we sit today, it's five-plus weeks off, so – Bit of a power uh, trip, if you ask me. You mentioned, yeah, well, Hockey Canada has their ways, you know. Anyway, yeah, I certainly well remember the hullabaloo of uh, 1972 when uh, when Bobby Hull uh, uh, was uh, was oh, basically now, banished from Team Canada because he went to the WHA. But what I better remember from 72, and these are grudges that I hold to this day. Big <laughs> Hadfield leaving the team Ooh. halfway through the tournament because he didn't like how much ice time he wasn't getting. And he just and bailed who else?
0: Who else?
1: Uh, there was three of them. Uh, one, of them was, one of them was the youngster Gilbert Perot. Dale Talon? And Dale Talon, and then the, the veteran, then the guy that got booed every time he ever played Maple Leaf Gardens after that, Vic Hadfield. Vic Hadfield. From the gag line. Golda game line with the New York Rangers he used to play with Jean Rattel and Rod Gilbert on a famous line that was supposed to be a star line for Team Canada and Vic came to camp out of shape and he wound up sitting in the press box a bit and he sulked and he left he Galvanized the rest of the team a little yeah, bit but yeah. that was a guy who chose not to play for Team Canada and he quit on them in the middle of a tournament and that was what didn't sit well and still doesn't frankly. <laughs> I'd forgotten that I'd forgotten that one.
0: Uh well I remember that it happened, but it's not I don't I'm not bearing an active grudge like you are.
1: I am. <laughs> Vic Hadfield McGritty can go and Irish name. Are the
0: Irish Burke was <laughs> Brian Burke was saying the Irish are famous for holding grudges. Is that you, Bruce?
1: Uh possibly. I mean Vic Hans- Hadfield can still go on pound sand as far as Bruce McCurdy <laughs> is concerned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph Kampala. Oh. That was apparently some dirty deal. I don't know what it was, but anyway. It's
1: a ref, yeah. I have to look it up. Fran, Franz there. Batter.
0: Franz Batter. What did they do? They saw,
1: let's not get batter, into it because they might batter. still be alive
0: and can sue us, but there was something going batter, on there.
1: Batter right? and worse is what Alan Eagleson called them, the two refs. <laughs> and batter and worse.
0: <laughs> okay. Theodore Lundström. You saw him play. I've been uh, really impressed. It sounds like, like the – was he a little less impressive than the first game that you saw him in, or about the same, or what? What's your thinking?
1: I saw I saw many of the same things. I mean, the first game you and I both watched him just before the last podcast, and yeah, you and both his socks off with his with his skating and so on. Uh, and he still showed many of those things in this game. I don't think he was again feeling it to quite the degree he had been in the previous game. Yeah, and he was. Uh, you know, he played an okay, solid game, but he, he wasn't really an impactful player. Whereas in the first game, he was... Like, he scored a goal. He was involved in a couple of big-time scoring chances. And he was kind of all over the ice. And, and in this game, uh, still, you know, the very good multi-directional skating. Like, you never know which which direction the guy's going to take in his next stride. Like, he's really he's really mobile in that, uh, in that sense. Uh, I do see... I I I see NHL caliber skills. The skating is a plus. I think the puck handling and and the offensive threat part is a plus. Uh, where he will be exposed and the question will be how much will be be exposed is on the defensive side of the puck and it's you know how much will he give back versus how much he takes and and. I see him as being, you know, in Sweden, kind of an okay defensive player. He likes to lead with the stick to poke check to clear rebounds as opposed to clearing the guys out of the crease kind of thing. It's, a, it's the way he plays and it's not, you know, it's not all bad. But I can see him getting overpowered by, yes. uh, uh, you know, on the edge of his own goal crease kind of thing in, in uh, uh, against NHLers. And that's really hard to judge because he's not playing against that yeah. many Inchellers. But you, I mean, in terms of the raw skills on display, he's he's got what it takes for sure. That's the question about him, right? He's about the
0: same size as Benning, you know, somewhere between Benning and Chris Russell in terms of his size. So he's a smaller player and his reach, I think he's listed at about six feet, 6'1", six one, 170 or something like that. His reach is not great. And like you say, he's not a hitter. The thing in his favor is that he's often in position defensively. I haven't seen him out of position defensively. Like, he knows where to go. He's a very smart defensive player. But he's not a really forceful one. So he's going to have to... Brian Benning or Chris Russell it up. You know, like, he's going to have to step it up in terms of that. Being a little bit um, more forceful defensively than perhaps he's used to. And he's going to lose some battles. You know, Benning and Russell don't... They're positionally... Pretty much impeccable, and um, he can do that. He's a great skater. He's a smart player. So, but the, just the, the question is, uh, will he, you know? What's that going to look like? I'm still, I'm still. I, I saw the same issue that you did though, and I have a question about it. So we'll see mm-hmm. if that question gets answered. I do think, um, you know, it's the, it's the advantage that Lagasan has over him, right? Is that Lagason is this big physical defender, so he's not quite as, he's not as good with the puck as Landstrom, but we know he answers the other side of it um, a little bit better, for, and we know that for sure because we've seen him in North America. Bruce, you also saw Ryan McLeod mm-hmm. play a game, just played, what was it, uh, just under nine minutes in that game?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't they don't love him, although he, looked, he looks okay when I see him, but what did you think of him over there?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's getting NHL bottom six minutes, which is, I mean, if, Eventually, he projects to that, but uh, you'd like to see him getting a little bit more play in the Swiss League. Uh, he, I mean, his skating is a standout skill, and he was skating. He was moving his feet, and he was involved in the game that way. Uh, a lot of it in... You know, like you say, the wide ice. There's lots of places to go, and it's not necessarily the most effective places. But uh, he was making things happen. He was confident with the puck. He was trying things that many of the other players weren't trying uh, with the puck. Uh, he did score a goal uh, on a uh, on a nice shot from uh, from the slot, and actually he actually won the puck on the boards, uh, stole it off of a guy on uh, trying to through the zone and cut right into the middle between the circles and let fly. So he certainly took it to the good area that time and scored. Uh, He was a culprit on one of the goals against where there was kind of a defensive breakdown in front of the net. And uh, it's hard to tell, like they, they switched camera angles and then they switched back and it was kind of hard to tell where the center and the defenseman got their wires crossed. But between them, they lost the guy that wound up alone in front scoring the goal. So, was probably a little bit on both of them. And yeah, he's got uh, you know, I mean, superficially he looks impressive. Like he's a big guy, he can fly. He was playing center, you know, he was in the middle of the uh, of the action. Uh, he certainly didn't look out of place, and I, I couldn't honestly uh, see any reason why he only played nine minutes out of the sixty. That was that seemed yeah. odd to me.
0: So my question, I I think he can be an NHL winger. Like I'm starting to see a real, like I'm starting to get a real sense of here's someone who could play wing in the NHL on a third or fourth line and probably be okay. Like I can Mm. see him making a team soon. I'm not sure he's a center and I I need to see him get really smart and tough in the defensive slot as a defensive hockey player. I haven't seen that in Switzerland. I didn't necessarily see that last year in Bakersfield. And if that if that comes together like i'm not like they say he's got to play in the hard hard spots and the you know the hard the, the good ice play you know the right in the in the two slots right i'm not so worried about him as an attacker i think he's got some attacking skills and he'll figure that out and everyone likes to score goals they'll he'll take it to the net i'm more concerned with him in the defensive slot as a center I'm not seeing that skill or yet yeah, that that acumen that it takes to be a, a like like I see in Gaytown Haas every game that I watch him the smartness the positional awareness. Um, McLeod's really got to work on that, and and it, I don't know what the system is on his team because I often mm-hmm. see him flying for a pass kind of and I it's it's almost like mm-hmm. they wanted to take the face off but he's not really a center in the defensive zone so I'm a little bit confused by what I'm seeing. Uh, with his play there, it could be that there's some system thing that, that is keeping him from being the guy in the low slot helping out the defenseman, so I'm, I'm not sure.
1: Well, in other words, uh, on the goal against, like I say, he got on the wrong side of the man, and that's part of this thought about him going into the tough areas. Well, sometimes in the defensive zone, uh, the difference between the tough and the not-so-tough areas, whether you're on the inside or the outside of the guy you're covering, if you can get your body in between that guy and the net, you're going to have to battle for that position. But that's the position you want to be in more times than not. Yeah, and that's something that he's going to have to demonstrate on an ongoing basis that he wants to wants to establish that inside position. He certainly got the, uh, you know, the skating chops and the size and the agility that he should be able to accomplish those things. But it's a matter of you know getting getting the habits hammered down into his game that he does it consistently.
0: Yeah, it's almost like in the defensive zone, you should be thinking, who's the danger man in the slot? Who's the danger man in the inside position, inside position, inside position? Like, get between him and the, the net, between him and the net, and just, like, that's your focus. And All right, uh, Kirill Maximov, I saw him play for Red Army. I think they're still Red Army. There's Seska. Mm-hmm. Um, they got the big red star on their right. sweater. It's a little bit mm-hmm. wearing that. Honestly, Bruce, when I see the symbols of the communist regime in Russia. It makes, my, makes me queasy, like if I'm completely honest, but we won't get into that. Um, Kirill Maximov is a really interesting hockey player because I, I, I saw him pretty good in this game. And his game isn't necessarily a European game. He plays mm. a pretty heavy game on the boards. And um, he's strong on the boards. He's strong with the puck. And that's what I saw in this game. He He's had a hard time getting ice time. In the KHL, he didn't play today in the KHL after playing mm-hmm. a pretty good game and getting an assist on a goal. So he's in and out of the lineup over there, but I, I, I liked his game. And it it indicated to me, like, okay, we were talking yesterday, last podcast, about the difference between him and Raphael Lavoie. is eating up on Svensk, and will we'll, we'll Maximov's kind of in and out of the uh, Seska lineup, and we'll, you know, He's doing better, though, when he goes down to the, is it the VHL? That he goes down to the the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. He's done well there. So I'm not sure how much separation there is between those two players, honestly. I think they're in a similar place with Lavoie being a year younger. Maximov, though, I can you know, Sean Patrick Ryan, who writes for Mm -hmm. the Cult of Hockey, writes at the Oil Night blog. He's often raved about this player, and I'm still seeing, it. I'm still seeing, yeah, he didn't have a great year in Bakersfield, but... He is a he plays some heavy hockey, and um, there's a there's potential there
1: for that player. Yeah, he's a real load, eh? Like he's a big, big, heavy man already, and he's you know he's still pretty young. He's he must be twenty one now. Yeah, and he's um, uh, he's got some speed. I know, uh, uh, SPR had on his. Uh, Uh, On his Twitter feed, a couple of highlights of him scoring points down there in the VHL, and he was flying. And, I mean, you can't disguise flying. It's, you know, I mean, part of it, you compare the speed of the opponents, but part of it is just you know how fast is fast. And he's fast on these rushes, at least. Like, he's not not a guy that's got the heavy boots that you often associate with, a you know, a 220-pound winger, which is, I think, about what he projects to be at least when he gets ahead of steam up. Now, often it's those first few steps that are the the difference maker with these players, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him play a couple more games myself to, to judge that. But uh, uh, he's not slow afoot, and he does have skill. He can make a real nice pass, and he's a shooter. So, you know, there's offense in there. I know uh, SPR said in his post about some of the depth Russians in the organization. He said he still sees him as being an NHL, or he has all along. And despite, you know, his little bit travails last year and this year and trying to establish a spot on a very deep uh, CSKA lineup that's got yeah. a bunch of kids competing for not very many positions, uh, you know, he's he's starting to make his time count. Like you say, he had a good, uh, really good game the last time. And he's back in the mix on the on the big club. So he's an intriguing yeah. player. It's interesting
0: because he's on the best team in the KHL and Lavoie is on the worst <laughs> team in All Svenskin. So you think, oh, Lavoie's he's killing it there and Maximov is struggling this year too. But you know, that that's that just shows about quality of competition on a, both with internally on your own team and, and right. players you're playing against. Because they're very similar players in a lot of ways. And it's good. I'm glad the owners have these two great big guys uh, who have good shots and are tough. So I watched Lavoie's game and he was minus three in the game. He wasn't really at fault on any of the goals against. And he's just on a terrible team. They can hardly make a pass. Well, they often don't make passes. They can make passes. They're pro hockey players. They often struggle, though, to make passes, even on the power play. But he Lavoie himself is this monster guy. He's big. He's you know he he's big. quite a huge hockey player. He's, and very skilled in terms of passing and shooting the puck, and mean he hits people. So I like the the order's got a couple of power forward candidates. Well, three of we've just mentioned three. three of them: Holloway, Maximov, and Lavoie. Right. And um, you know they're all kind of you know the in the and theoretically McLeod, who isn't as physical as the other ones, but you know the, you know they're all you know if you compare them like to you know, the last kind of power forward the Oilers developed was Pitlick or Kara. I guess Kara would be another one. Pitlick. They haven't really developed a strong power forward, Bruce, in forever, right? So, pretty much. They've got some candidates here, and these players are all at least as good as Pitlick at that same age, I would say, and all at least as good as Juju Kara at that same age. So, um, and th- this is at least as good, and they're. I think the each one of those guys is a. Um, better player, skill wise, than Jujar Kara was at that same age. Kara, bit maybe a bit bigger and tougher, but um,
1: yeah. Well, McLeod, McLeod, and Holloway are uh, are are, are, cent- are centers, or at least I mean they they might project to be wingers in the long term, but they're centers. The three guys that I would lump together as power forwards are uh, uh, Maximov. Lavois and Maxim Borowskin. The yes. great big uh, Russian, just drafted in the was it fifth round this last year, mm-hmm. uh, and he's something like 6'4", 216 already. Yeah. Just turned 19 years old. So I got three of them. They're all right shots. They all like to play left wing. They all like to shoot the puck. And I haven't seen Borowskin more than a few highlights, and I want to get in and see a game of, of his at some point. But uh, he's... Um, you know, he's he's in that same class a year behind even Lavois because he's just been drafted, right? They took Maximov in 17. They took Lavois in 19. They took Brozkin in 20. So you have to keep that in mind. But uh, the be idea the of, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but a big power, like, in each case, we're talking to guys that project to be 6'4", 220, uh, you know, true power forward size that have a significant amount of skill and like to shoot the puck from the inside of the ice. You know, right shots on the left side is the preferred position for all three guys, as far as I can tell.
0: The next player we'll talk about is the world's smallest power forward, Joachim Nygaard. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does try to play quite a physical power game. Like, you know, that's what I like about Nygaard. He, he gets in there and he battles. Like, he's a very competitive hockey player and he had a, he had quite a good game. Mm-hmm. Last game that I saw, he got a primary assist. He, he went speeding down the wing and behind the net and centred the puck cross crease to his teammate. And um, the teammate put it in for a really easy goal. So so that was good to see because there's questions about Nygaard's hand. He broke his hand and he's had surgery on it. And, you know, is that hand in full functioning order? Right. His, I can tell you his skates and his feet and his legs are moving pretty fast. And he he looks
1: good. I, I like Nigard, He's playing the PK. Um, that's some, very important because if he wants to make the Oilers, he's got to bring that because that's, that's an area of need for the Oilers.
0: Maximov also plays the PK, and mm-hmm. as does Puliari this year in Finland a little bit. bit. Um, Nigard, Ny- I think, is a really good candidate for the PK, and you're right; his chances of making the Oilers get get to like you know from from one in one out of two if he's a good PK guy or even better, two out of three, to, like, one in ten if he if he can't do the PK. Because they need someone on the bottom lines to do the PK now. And right. he's got to, if he's going to take Archibald's spot, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. They
0: could be in direct competition or chase on spot. Like, he he has got to do that PK thing. And he, he's doing – he does it. Like, I think he's pretty good at it. And uh, he works hard, blocks shots. He's not afraid to block a shot. So, good game from Joachim Nigard. He's, last a,
1: he's a dogged play. guy eh yeah knee guard he, he really you know like he doesn't quit on plays and he, he you know he's he's in your face like I, I like that about him he, he it took him a while before we really started seeing that game to game on the Oilers and last January he was terrific and then he broke his hand and that was that season was over and it was unfortunate because <sighs> he was really starting to come on just at that time.
0: He would have been in the Oilers lineup in the playoffs. I don't oh, have yeah. any doubt about it. He was, just, he was just really playing well. I don't know what the coaches think of him. Like, you don't really hear much. and But they did give him another contract, right? Yep. Did that happen after he broke his hand that he got the other? Yep. It did.
1: Sure it did. Yep. So
0: even after that, like, they thought, let's give this. We like him enough to give. That says something there, you know. Yep. Um, so the last player, Bruce, is Philip Broberry. Mm. And... Um, Euler's first round draft pick in 2019, if you don't recognize the name, the way we're pronouncing it, as they say it in Sweden. So Broberry, it's funny because I, I watched this game twice and um, the first time I, I ranked him, I gave him a five and the second time a six. And I realized I wasn't really being fair to the player in my first view of it because I I think I'm starting to expect too much from him. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to expect to see him use that unbelievable skating ability like Paul Coffey might use that skating ability just to shred the other team. And instead I see a player who's a little bit timid in that regard, like who seems to, he, who rushes the puck up the ice and then he gets to the blue line and he could make, he could then decide to make a rush in and instead he dumps it in. So he doesn't take on the D man. He doesn't try to cut into the middle of the ice or burn around him to the outside. He he makes the safe play, dumps it in. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm holding that a little bit against him. Uh, I, like my expectation is more than what I'm seeing, but the, what, what I do see actually was was still pretty good in that game. He made he made lots of solid defensive plays. He made lots of solid offensive plays. He was out for one goal against. It was a two on three that kind of came down his side, but it wasn't his fault. He was on his man, who kind of blocked his body, took him out, and passed it back to the, the trailer. And the trailer came in, slot a shot from the high slot. The goalie should have had it. It might have gone off Bro Broberry, but I don't really blame him on that one. It was kind of a tough play. And then they had him out. The, the really good news was they had him out in overtime again. Mm-hmm. Second time they've seen him in three on three, and he just, he's great. I mean, he made a really solid move in his own end to gain time and space to make a great breakout pass that led to a two on one play. He came down to the other end himself as the last man and got the puck in the high slot. And, um, was a little slow on shooting, didn't it deflected wide? Play keeps going on. And then he was the defender on a two on one. He was completely calm on that two on one, played it perfectly to the extent that he stripped pretty much got stick on puck, and there was only a weak shot on net because of his really good defensive play there. So it was two strong plays at either end of the ice, three on three. You know, I just, again, I think he really is, this is, he really is in the right place for him right now. And I I, I would put a, you know, there's there's the people are saying he's a 4 five, six D-man in the NHL. And there's people who like, who saw him in training camp who say, well, he's moved to the, the top of the Oilers depth chart in terms of prospects. He's moved ahead of Evan Bouchard and might make the team this year. I would say between those two things, is the reality of Philip Broberry. He, I, w- my guess is he, he, sh- he's really in the right place right now. He should probably stay in Sweden um, for this play this year in Sweden, and then, then come over to North, North America. And in terms of comparing him to Bouchard, again, it's a little hard to do because we're seeing Bouchard in the Allsvenskan, which is a cut below in terms of quality of play. Yeah, but Evan Bouchard is it? He's starting to get underrated almost. I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest. He is a he's an amazing Evan Bouchard is a pretty amazing offensive hockey player right now, like NHL quality power play quarterback right now. That's what I'm saying about Evan Bouchard. There's questions about his defensive play, but could he run an NHL play, power play? No 100%. doubt
1: about it. So, yeah, he's the flavor of last month, hey eh? Evan Bouchard. <laughs> like he's still he's still around, he's still good, and you know there was so much talk about when he came over to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, the COVID camp there before the play-in series, and he really impressed for a while in scrimmages and stuff. Uh, but the question that all these guys boil down to, and we've talked about this already in this podcast, is consistency, right? You see yeah. a guy at his best, and you think, holy moly, that guy's going to be... You see another game, you think, that guy's never going to make it, and then it's the same guy. You know, and over time, they, you know, they, they develop, you know, 60% of the best and 20% of the worst and 20% somewhere in between. Whatever the, whatever the mix is, is going to determine how much of an impact player that guy is going to be. There's very few players that are at their best on a nightly basis. Like, that's, you know, so when you're talking about limited viewings, like we were getting this camp, obviously he came into camp burning hot into Oilers' camp. But obviously, he came into camp looking to impress in camp, whereas most of the guys in that camp were trying to sort of play their way into being ready to play games in August. So it's often often in NHL camps, rookie, the rookies look good for a while, and then as the games ramp up in, in uh, intensity, uh, their star starts to shine a little bit less brightly. And it's, it's not even a knock. It's just part of the process.
0: You know, major points for being ready for camp for the
1: kid. Mm-hmm. Like that's 100%. part of making
0: it. That's part exactly. of the Impressing major points for coming in there and impressing everybody, right? Impressing mm-hmm. all the Oilers hockey yep. insiders. Good for him. Like that's what that's, that's a really good signal and a really good sign. I'm glad, I'm glad that happened. Uh, it, you know, it just shows the, the um, first impressions can be misleading with hockey players. First impressions can give you an idea of the skill but like you say can they consistently apply that skill but worst of all is the kind of the twitter you know and we've all been this guy the twitter scout like you see the twitter highlight film right of the player and you think oh that's the player and you, you're not the mm-hmm. context of it okay what quality of league is that mm-hmm. and, and kurt Levin's got eaten alive this summer mm-hmm. by critics when he suggested you, there was a game a three-on-three game against like weak competition that pull Arvey was in and kurt had the terminology suggested this wasn't the highest level of competition, he may have overstated like, I'm not, I can't say, you know, I'm not sure, but he, Kurt's point, I think was a good one. Like, think a little bit, really consider this. Cause it, and this is another thing that I'm learning from this, Bruce, it's been a good exercise in this is you really do have to, when watching especially like when Evan Bouchard gets the, you know, does circumnavigates the hockey globe and puts, you know, rushes then down the middle of the ice and rams home the goal like okay this is like this is though in all Svenskin. like this isn't that much different than major junior um and so it's just one cut of a, above that so let's put that into context so we're gonna have to weigh all these things we're gonna as i've been saying we're gonna come up with a like a we're gonna re-rank the order of prospects because we didn't because of the draft we haven't seen the players um we, we didn't rank the players in the draft because. We right. uh, had our vote before, so it's going to be fun though to re-rank them just before. We'll probably do that in early December, I guess. Eh? have the before the Oilers yeah. cap,
1: whenever yeah. that is, sometime before camp, Yeah, I mean we've already written about most of the players, and, uh, but there will be a few newcomers that we'll write specific posts about. But the rankings, I think we're going to start fresh, right? Yeah. So and
0: hopefully we'll see Carter Savoy play some games in. Um, In U.S. college hockey, I don't know if he's playing yet or not. I'm not sure about that. And we'll hopefully drop in on Michael Kesselring and maybe if Phil Kemp plays as well. I'm not sure if their their season might be canceled.
1: Kemp's season is canceled. He's in the Ivy League, and they just canceled their their sports programs altogether for 2021. So it's not just the winter semester; it's it's the school year. And this would have been his senior year. He was slated to be the captain of Yale and I'm sure a year he was really looking forward to has come off the rails, but what that might do is open up the window for him to be signed, and whether he signs with the Oilers or decides to do that American-born U.S. college thing the way uh, uh, John Marino did, we don't know, but uh, he's, a, he's a player of interest. That uh, uh, Don't be too shocked if some word comes out that the Oilers are talking about signing this guy.
0: They should be looking at signing him right now if he's not going to play hockey this year. If he wants to be a pro player, he's got to play this winter. Uh, Almost certainly, right? And uh, so it'll be good for the owners to know one way or the other where camp stands. Does he want to sign here or not? And if not, then maybe they can trade him for more than a seventh-round draft pick like they got from Marino. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Well, Bruce, maybe we should leave it there.
1: Okay, kind of gone around the waterfront, David. Indeed. At least we've got games to watch these days, so that's, uh, that's a step in the right direction, even if they aren't NHL games, or NHL players, or NHL future players. And, and uh, so at least stuff to, stuff to keep us watching and writing and talking.
0: Yeah, I, I'm enjoying it, actually. I, it's, it's, uh, you learn you know more about hockey all the time, and seeing these leagues where I usually never see full games or partial games is uh, very interesting.
1: My Swedish is much better. I've really noticed improved. that. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Berry. <laughs> yeah.
0: right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.
1: Oops, hit the wrong button here. I still got to turn this off. Well, no.